Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. This is Reset. I'm Jen White. When Reset first began, we introduced a series called Closing the Gap. The gap refers to inequality across a range of issues in Chicago, like income, infrastructure investment, and education. Our aim isn't just to identify these disparities, but to highlight those who work to find solutions and close the gap. The series first examined health and health care in Chicago, prompted by a study showing huge imbalances in life expectancy between certain Chicago neighborhoods. For example, people in a section of Streeterville live to be 90 years old on average, yet eight miles away in a part of Inglewood, the life expectancy for residents is only 60. In this fourth installment, we look at how early childhood education may strengthen families and improve health outcomes in vulnerable communities. Zulema Flores is 29 years old and lives in Pilsen. Her daughter is enrolled at an early childhood program at Gads Hill Center in Brighton Park. We'll learn about that program in just a bit. But first, we'll hear from Catherine Main. She's a senior lecturer and program coordinator at the University of Illinois at Chicago's College of Education. And I asked her to describe what a high-quality early childhood education program looks like. High-quality early childhood education is really what distinguishes Um, the kind of early childhood education that gives us the opportunity to reap the benefits that we might get from early childhood education. And from where I stand, I think the most important component of high-quality early childhood education is the adult who's in the room with the children and what that adult knows and what that adult does with children because it's through the interactions that adults have with children that have the most profound impact on children's development and learning. You helped develop the UIC Alternative Early Childhood Licensure Program to prepare early childhood teachers in Chicago's underserved communities. How did that come together? That actually started back in 2007 with a request from Chicago Public Schools in really trying to make an effort within their community partnership program to support the teachers who were working in community-based organizations versus the teachers who were working in the Chicago Public Schools. So I ran a program with Chicago Public Schools for about seven years called the Alternative Certification Program. That program certified about 100 teachers in Chicago community-based organizations. The revised alternative licensure program sort of got resurrected um, after a couple of years to do the same thing, really support the teachers who work in our community-based organizations, have access and opportunity to earn a teacher license. Because in the state of Illinois, a teacher license is really the ticket that moves teachers into a level of professionalism that gives them access and opportunity to work in public schools and therefore earn livable wages. And what's some of the key components of that program? We sort of turned admission criteria upside down. And instead of looking at the traditional things that programs often look at, like grade point average, where you went to school, where you earned your bachelor's degree, we started to look at, are you even from a particular community? Do you speak the language of the children that you're serving? Do you have a level of commitment and experience that you've shown over the years? And we looked at those sort of factors as the kinds of things of the group that we wanted to recruit into the program. And so the program recruits traditionally disenfranchised people people, particularly women of color, to advance their education. Why is it important for children to learn from someone who looks like them? 
I think it's incredibly important for children to have mirrors. And I take that line from a colleague of mine who is now at CPS. But children are able to see people that look like them in positions of places of where they want to learn from. Teachers who also are of and from the community are more likely to understand some of children's particular behaviors that they might have and the type of developmental milestones that they might be hitting at different times. They can recognize the strengths that children have. In addition, um, working in early childhood is not just about working with young children. It's also about working with the families. And often families sometimes feel more comfortable with somebody who is of and from their community and understands some of the context in which they're trying to raise their children in. And I find that that's critically important. That's Catherine Main, a senior lecturer and program coordinator at UIC's College of Education. And we're talking about how early childhood education may help strengthen families and improve health outcomes in vulnerable communities. This conversation is part of our Closing the Gap series, where we take a look at disparities in the Chicago area, hear from the people working to address them, and explore possible solutions. Catherine, I want to play a little tape here. Earlier this year, we sat down with Nobel Prize winning economist James Heckman to talk about how preschool impacts low-income families. In the 1960s, people thought, ah, the whole thing is to raise IQ, that IQ was the be-all and end-all of what these studies were about. But it turns out that IQ is only a small part of what constitutes success. Now, Heckman's research was built on the Perry School Project from the 60s and found that children who participated in high-quality early childhood education programs, that they made significant gains. These programs could boost health, Control, self-control, things like externalizing behavior, what a psychologist would call executive functioning, how well you can plan your life. All of these were imbued in the students, the young children who participated in this program. And the research even showed that some of those gains went beyond the individual achievement or success of a particular child. And the other part, their parents got switched on and their parents got engaged in the lives of the children. So long after the program was finished, the parents were still actively engaged. Catherine, talk about some of the tangible benefits we see from early childhood education when it comes to health. One of the things that Heckman's research has shown from the Perry Preschool Project is that children who participated in this high-quality early childhood center ended up as adults having better health outcomes. And I think that that is related to the strong foundations that children and families get from participating in a high-quality early childhood program, the sorts of supports that a high-quality early childhood program can provide a child and their family can buffer the sorts of things that might be happening in a family and the sorts of trauma even that children and families might experience from being in a community that has you know, violence or other problems related to it. A good program can provide buffers against that, and that's critical to their brain development and their life health. As we mentioned earlier, you recently won a $3.8 million grant from the federal government to support early childhood education. Talk about how that money will be used. Yeah. I love calling it one because <laughs> it's like just a surprise. <laughs> it's, you know, years of collaborative, hard-earned work um, over the years with my colleagues at UIC, as well as my partnerships that I have across the city and with the City of Chicago Early Learning Programs. And so a big part of what we're trying to do with the funding to support the alternative licensure program is to build a strong foundation for children's social-emotional learning. And we know that without the foundational knowledge of social-emotional skills, that later learning in academic areas, cognitive areas, sometimes is not happening. And so what we want to make sure is that teachers understand children's social-emotional development, 
and have specific skills related to teaching social-emotional skills. And that's a foundation that we're using to lay on, and we're working on piloting a tool that's going to actually measure that, and we can use that tool to then coach teachers in that specific area. And then layered on top of that, we're adding content area that really also focuses on inclusion of diverse learners, which means inclusion of children who are dual language learners, as well as inclusion of children with special needs. And then later on top of that, we're adding STEM content, which is a content that is often not readily available in early childhood ed classrooms. Early childhood teachers are less comfortable teaching things in science, mathematics, engineering, technology. So we're layering on that content. The final piece of the program is supporting the teachers who complete the program to move into leadership roles and helping them see themselves as moving beyond the informal brokers of knowledge within their centers, but actual leaders in their centers where they can support additional staff and others. You mentioned the importance of teachers being armed with the ability to help children develop their social and emotional health. One of the things we know from research is is that when kids live in high-stress environments, what's called toxic stress, mm-hmm. which is repeated trauma, has an impact on their long-term health outcomes. So as part of what you're doing, helping teachers better identify what that looks like in kids and send them to the right resources. Yes, and also understand what it means and understand what they can do in the classroom too. I don't ever want to put the entire burden of addressing toxic stress in children and families' lives on the individual teacher in the classroom because I think it does require a wide range of support, including mental health consultants. But as well as teachers can have the ability to identify it and then be armed with skills and tools that they can use to help support children, they can create those buffers that children actually need. We know so often legislation lags behind research. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Perry Preschool Project has been tracked for decades now. Still, legislation hasn't really caught up to what some of that research tells us. What would you like to hear from policymakers on this issue of early childhood education? That's such a great question. Um, I think about this a lot. I would like policymakers to fully fund what the true cost of early childhood care and education is. We have a rampant crisis situation within early childhood right now related to the compensation of what people are actually paid to do this highly sophisticated, complex, important work that literally lays the foundation for children's development and learning. And so I would like to see a real commitment to funding it and I'd also like to see a real commitment to policymakers actually understanding and believing the science behind early childhood care and education and that it's not necessarily something that's viewed as just taking care of kids, babysitting for kids, making sure that parents can go to work. It's much more sophisticated and complex than that, and we have to get behind that and actually believe that and understand that our very youngest children often are the children who are served by our least qualified people. And we need to reverse that because that's really where the most important work is being done. I would like to see politicians sort of change their tune and the policymakers figure out how to fully fund early childhood for what it costs. Right now, we fund early childhood through multiple streams, and some of them include child care assistance programs. Some of them are through Head Start federal dollars. Some of them are through our own state preschool program, and then family pay. All of these streams, even combined together, do not bring in enough revenue to really provide the quality that our children deserve. 
this week we're focused on the gap in health disparity. So I just want you to connect the dots for us a little bit. If policymakers move towards a system like what you're you're describing, fully funding early childhood ed, how big of an impact do you think that would have on the health gap we see right here in our city? Well, I think it has the potential to have a tremendous contribution to it because, like I said, what we know of what's happening with young children between the ages of birth to three and then a little bit maybe even birth to five is so critical. Ninety percent of the brain development is happening then. This is the time that if we get it right, we've actually laid the foundation for children to be successful in school, to children to be on the pathway for healthy development. And when we also do it right, We include the families and the communities in really deliberate and thoughtful ways. And it is healthy communities, healthy environments. Health is related to what the context is in which you live, your environment, your home, and your community. And I think we really have the potential to change things by really supporting particularly, I think, our community-based organizations who do do this work and think through what is the thread that we need to have going all the way through a child's development to make sure that all of those particular needs are met. One of the things I've been thinking about at the University of Illinois, for instance, we're a campus that has a medical campus, dentistry, social work, education, public health, all of those elements actually need to come together because that's what our children actually need to have all of those pieces. It can't only be on the College of Education. It's not just an issue about education. It's an issue that does involve dentistry. It's an issue that involves public health, social service. All of those pieces, when brought together in a meaningful way, I think will make a difference. That's Catherine Main. She's Senior Lecturer and Program Coordinator at UIC's College of Education. Catherine, thanks for joining us. Thank you. This was great. I want to turn now to two people who are working to close that life expectancy gap by providing access to quality early childhood education and health resources. Marcy Safer is director of the Center for Children and Families at the Erickson Institute. It recently opened a new clinic to provide mental health care for infants and young children in the Little Village and Lawndale neighborhoods. Also with us is Marciela Garcia. She's executive director of the nonprofit Gads Hill Center. Marcy, Marciela, welcome to Reset. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Marciela, I want to start with you. Why was it important for your organization to open an early childhood center in the Brighton Park area? The area of Brighton Park has gone through a major demographic transformation because uh, many of the families that used to live in Pilsen um, have been migrating to the southwest side by crossing I-55 and uh, settling in the communities nearby. So we track the zip codes about where the families were moving and uh, found out that it was that area, Brighton Park, McKinley Park. So we either changed our mission or expanded our location. So based on the commitment to the families and uh, commitment to our mission, we are opening the first uh, ever early education center in Brighton Park. And talk about some of the services you'll provide through that center. We are going to provide the same services that we provide in other early learning centers. It's uh, providing uh, programs for children birth to five years old. And uh, also the parents, uh, we support the parents with their education and uh, work-related goals. 
um, we provide an array of supports because we believe that the child is uh, our primary target, uh, but the family without the stability of the family in supporting the family as a system is very hard to ensure the sustainability of the change that we want to see in the children. Now, Marcy, you're nodding along as Maricela is speaking there. Talk a little bit more about the importance of not just providing resources for a child, but for the entire family. So I agree that it's sort of, we think about that, you know, the child is sort of the center, what the child needs, but um, how the family and the community supports that child really is what's going to lead to that child being able to reach their fullest potential. And particularly in the mental health work that we do, um, we know that children develop in the context of their relationship with their family, their primary caregiver, but all of the other uh, people in their life that support their primary caregiver. And so if a child or a family is experiencing a great deal of stress, if a child is having a hard time, their parent is really their, what we think about as their protective shield. And so oftentimes if children are having a hard time, it's either because their parents are also having difficulty and are not available in the ways that they need them to help them settle down. And so we know that we have to both help the parent be able to address the kinds of things that are creating stresses for them, the traumas that are going on in their life, so they can be a better protective shield for their child then their child will be able to settle more and learn. Maricela, when we talk about early childhood education, specifically quality early childhood education, talk about how that connects to longer-term health outcomes for kids. Early childhood education is one of the greatest investments of society, not just because it results in higher future income for participants, but a more productive workforce, a greater economic growth, uh, lower crime rates in a small prison populations. So this all results in a savings for taxpayers. So it's not just the social aspect that it carries to provide high-quality early education programs, but also the economic impact and as a whole for society, but also for the families. This is one of the strategies for families to lift themselves out of poverty because by providing quality in the long hours, meaning full-day programs, the families can go to work knowing uh, feeling confident that the children are learning and have the tools to enter a school ready to learn. That's Maricela Garcia, Executive Director of the nonprofit Gads Hill Center. Also with us is Marcy Safer, Director of the Center for Children and Families at the Erickson Institute. And we're talking about the need for early childhood education and health resources on the south and southwest sides of the city. This conversation is part of our Closing the Gap series, where we take a look at disparities in the Chicago area, hear from the people working to address them, and explore possible outcomes. This week, we're examining the gap in health outcomes in Chicago. Marcy, I want to turn back to you because the Institute's Little Village Clinic is filling a gap in mental health services on Mm -hmm. the southwest side. Talk about some of the long-term impacts toxic stress can have on infants and young children. We know that when there is toxic stress or when essentially there's so much stress in a young child's life that they're not able to cope, then their stress response system is overburdened. And it leads to children having trouble attending, trouble sitting still, sleeping, um, generally coping. And so 
I think the place that it comes in is we want quality early childhood education, but we want our children to be able to be ready and sit in that classroom and be able to take in all the exciting things that are there for them to learn. So when they're coming from a community or a household where there are an overabundance of stresses um, and they're not able to cope, their stress response system is overburdened, it's on hyperarousal, and children are not able to regulate and settle. And later in life, we can also see some negative feedback as a result of that toxic stress and how it turns up in health outcomes. Right. Right. So what happens is when children who later become adults have not learned effective ways to cope and to soothe and regulate themselves, one of the sort of a logical thing, people get into bad habits. They may smoke to settle down. They may um, drink. They may do whatever kinds of things help us as adults settle down. And all of those things are related to long-term physical and psychological health problems that naturally then lead to shorter lifespans. And so we know if we intervene early, help children learn how to cope in an environment with parents that can be that protective person and help them learn to soothe and regulate, that they develop better habits and have an opportunity then across the lifespan to manage better. And it leads to basically healthier, long Life health. And I think also in terms of psychological stress, if children are able to cope in a healthy way, that then leads to less overload on the stress response system and longer lifespans. Maricela, when you think about the south and southwest sides of the city, what are some of the specific cultural or systemic barriers that are in place when it comes to accessing quality early childhood education and health resources for kids? So the southwest side of Chicago experiences a shortage in uh, quality early education programs. Brighton Park is the first uh, early education center in that area when the need shows that there are 3,000 children eligible. So for us, building that center and meeting the need of uh, 124 children It's just the beginning of addressing the high need for the families in that area. So in what they experience, which is very significant, is that many of the children coming from low-income families enter school with a deficit of about a million words that they didn't hear before age five. Before age five is when the brain develops the fastest. 85% of our brain development happens during that period. So it's a critical period for learning. So when children are not enrolled in high-quality education, they enter school with a deficit. And when the teacher reads a story to the kindergartens, All those children who didn't participate in early education programs do not understand the story because they don't have the vocabulary, and they're already lagging behind. And why has there been such a lack of access to high-quality early childhood education on the South and Southwest sides? I think that is um, lack of political will because the research points out about the great need for investing in that area, but hardly anyone has made it part of uh, their political agenda to say, we're going to invest in this community. When you think about what can be done at a policy level, Marcy, to address this issue of access in early childhood, whether it's for health resources or early childhood education or mental health resources for children and families, what would you like to see shift on the policy level? I think that the recognition, we have the science, 
that tells us that intervening early is cost-effective and makes a difference for families and society. So I think always what I would like to see is a bigger commitment. And Maricela, what about for you? What would you like to see policymakers do to start to close this gap in access for kids? I think that trusting um, research that points out about the great impact that quality early education programs have and also respond to need. So if the Southwest High communities show that they have a great need for those programs, then invest in them. I think that many of us are advocates for the communities, but sometimes we don't find the echo of our request uh, among those who have the power to allocate the resources for those families to have an opportunity to open a better future for their children. That's Maricela Garcia, Executive Director of the nonprofit Gads Hill Center, and Marcy Safer, Director of the Center for Children and Families at Erickson Institute. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank Thank you. Thank you for having us. And that's your Sunday Reset. Today was the fourth and final installment of our first Closing the Gap series. But stay tuned. We'll continue to explore the gaps in Chicago in education, housing, and more. Until then, I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. And let's talk again soon. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.